0: Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. Thanks for tuning in and becoming a part of our growing River Talks community. This week, we heard from Mark Deutschman, founder of Village and Core Development and leader of the City Living Group, as he discussed the benefits of greenways, Nashville's Greenway Network, and the development of the 25-mile City Central Greenway. My book, One Mile Radius, is about the evolution of Nashville's urban neighborhoods over 30 years from a real estate entrepreneur's perspective. And um, I got involved in sort of thinking about and working in walkable neighborhoods and the sort of the time when Nashville was a hollow shell of what it is today. Back in the early 90s, we were the central business district and we didn't allow really to have residents downtown. In fact, as late as 2005, we only had 10 people who owned houses in the central business district. It's Hard to believe. Back then we were talking about re-inhabiting the city and trying to bring energy back to some of the neighborhood commercial districts. Many had been victims of urban flight, and um, a lot of districts like Hillsborough Village 12 South, Lachlan Springs were not very vital. And so there was a thought that walkable neighborhoods urban neighborhood commercial districts and neighborhoods um, could lift themselves and become more than what they were. Today the dialogue is very different. You know you can see Nashville across the river and it's a very vital city Um, and the narrative has changed to affordable living but I'm gonna digress and go back 30 years ago and talk a little bit about how we got engaged and then how the intersect between the evolution of greenways Sort of worked into the narrative of the of the neighborhoods. Um, the greenways for Nashville was formed back in the late 90s under the Bredesen era, and it was working with Metro Parks to begin to think of a robust greenway system. Um, it took some while to evolve, but we've done really well. We've now laid down over just about 100 miles of permanent paved trails, and we have nearly 225 um, park primitive and and uh, paved trails. So. We've made a lot of strides during the day, but just think we didn't start until the late 90s to get this thing started. So, um, anyway, when people ask me how I got to Nashville, um, I often say that my boat caught on fire. And that's my little zodiac, it's a 12 foot zodiac. And I had gotten a job out of um, school as an intern. I had a degree in zoology working with killer whales up in British Columbia. And so, 150 whales came in each season to eat salmon about 300 miles north of Vancouver in the Johnson Straits. And my job was to take pictures of their dorsal fins and their saddle patches and to help do a photographic identification study to help understand how they worked, how the pods worked. We found out, by the way, that it's a maternal society. The women lead, lead the whales, it's incredible. Um, but after my second season, I was packing up and getting ready to go when I came upon a super pod of whales. And generally these whales will travel in groups of 10 and 12, and they'll travel together and sort of stay together all the time. But when they get in a super pod, there's a whole bunch of them and you can't really tell who was there. And I climbed up on the bow of my little boat and I was taking pictures and sort of saying goodbye to my friends because they were moving slowly through the water and I sort of paced them. Well, after about 45 minutes, I looked back and my engine was on fire. It was smoking up through the cover. I pulled it off and I watched my engine fry and die. And the whales went one way and I started drifting the other way. And I was going, this is, this is not good. This water's too cold. <laughs> I don't wanna fall in. It's a shipping lane so you have the boats coming through and you have these big barges and I didn't really have any locomotion. And it was, I didn't have a radio. This is way before cell phones, and I thought I was sunk. Um, But I had brought a windsurfer up that year, and I had it strapped to the side of the boat, and it dawned on me that I had a sail. And so I took that sail, and I figured out how to rig it on my little boat. And for nine hours, I sailed up the straits until I finally landed on a little island, and I walked into a camp. And fortunately, there were people on this little island. There was a guy with long hair and long beard, Barefoot, he could hardly talk, and his hippie girlfriend. And she was very vivacious because he wouldn't talk to her. (laughs) And they sort of invited me into their camp. And I was stuck with them for seven days until I got towed off. Um, Those were happy times. Fast forward a few years later, I came to Nashville. And I came to the home of Joel Solomon and Louise uh, Louise uh, Solomon, they got married, <laughs> and he had cut his hair, and he had um, he had um, put on a suit, and he was, I was like, who is this man? I'd gone back east to my father's funeral. He had died in 1985, and I'd, somehow Joel tracked me down and invited me to come to Nashville, and when I came down, I decided to stay. Now, zoology, marine biology, and my Spanish degree didn't help me much at the time, um, however, I had learned how to juggle, and I was quite a, quite a good juggler. I could juggle five, six, seven balls at the time. I was a passer, and I put my, um, my resume in to a talent agency on Music Row, and they started getting me some cool jobs, um, like commercials for Ford and Toyota, uh, uh, juggling gigs at the Starwood Amphitheater, if you remember what that was. Um, uh, lots of cool corporate gigs and stuff, and so I started making my living. As a juggler, and I also got a job washing windows because it didn't pay enough. Um, and um, I started the National Juggling Club. Um, I found somebody who was an interested juggler, and we founded a club and we started getting a bunch of jugglers on board. And we had a lot of fun. Well, I got my real estate license um, because Joel's family were developers. He had, his father had died and left him some property and I thought I'd get my real estate license to help sell some property and I got involved in Hillsborough Village. Joel lived on 20th Avenue South near Hillsborough Village in Vanderbilt and he had was working with the merchants. Uh, I don't know if you remember at the time, but there was Vanderbilt was taking over property in the neighborhood. There was a fight for eminent domain and the village was actually threatened and Vanderbilt was going to move in But they had called a truce and the neighborhood commercial district was trying to redefine itself and uh, when people asked me what i did i said well i sell real estate within a one mile radius of hillsborough village and they said that's all you do i said well yes but i know that vanderbilt wants to bring their employees back to live near the campus and i know those eclectic musicians down on music row want to move into this neighborhood and these houses Price between 60 and 110,000, I think they're a pretty good deal. So if you know anybody who wants to live near Hillsborough Village, I'm your guy. And the strategy worked. Um, I actually sold 27 houses the next year, then 43, then 62, and I started shifting into one of the top real estate practitioners in Nashville. So it was quite an interesting and eclectic. But um, because of the juggling thing, I was also known as the juggling realtor. And I'd wear the suspenders and sneakers to the awards events. And even when my daughter was born, I'd use her as a prop. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. And um, I ended up buying a house. This is my first house over on Carruthers, and it was behind uh, Mafiosas. Um, and all the four houses around me were boarded up. Um, but I thought, this is a cool neighborhood. This is going to be something someday. And I looked at 12 South, and by my count, there were 54 buildings on 12 South and about 50% of them were vacant. And we started, we reached out to the MDHA because one of the people who were working in Village, she had been involved in that organization and asked them if they'd help us think through what could happen with that neighborhood. And they agreed to help us think through a master plan. They pulled neighborhood leaders together, they pulled the merchants together, and they said, what do you guys want for this district? And they said, we want better sidewalks, we want better lighting, we want people to slow down, we'd like to have some safety, we'd like to have the eyes on the street because it doesn't feel good, and and um, we ended up doing that. We got some money, and we did a master plan, and gradually through Public Works and my councilman, Mansfield Douglas, we ended up um, getting $760,000 to do a street diet. So we narrowed the street on three blocks because 12 South used to be uh, two two lanes all the way through and it slowed down the traffic, and it showed people what sidewalks looked like, and it showed people what, um, you know, a nice street could look like. And gradually, under Bill Purcell, we got the rest of the street done, and 12 South is more like it is today, although it's had a long evolution as well. Um, But this was sort of me getting interested in walkable neighborhoods and seeing the potential of what Hillsborough Village and 12 South could do to surrounding neighborhoods. Well, I also got involved in a group through Joel Solomon again. He was somewhat of a renaissance man, that long-haired hippie, through a, a group, um, it was called Social Venture Network. And it was a group of people who owned businesses who were uh, concerned about a just and sustainable economy. And it was the likes of Ben Cohen of Ben and & Jerry's and Gary Hirschberg of uh, Stonyfield Yogurt and Anita Roddick of The Body Shop. These were accomplished business professionals who use business as a tool for change. And I was doing my work and starting to understand my role maybe in Nashville, but I felt like I needed to do something um, a little bit more. And So in 1996, uh, I started Village Real Estate Services. Um, It was myself and two agents. And this is a little house in Hillsborough Village where we got our start. And we built that dragon right there. Maybe you remember seeing that back then. And Village Real Estate was born. I still juggled. I was still a juggling real estate uh, agent, but I was starting to become sort of a professional, I guess. Um, We started growing the company, and um, um, as the company grew, we started thinking through some of the next things that we wanted to do. And I'd be traveling back to Vancouver because I really loved that region, and I was seeing how Vancouver was um, really starting to... um, Uh, embrace density in the urban core. They're really thinking that housing needed to be part of the core, and I could see the neighborhood commercial districts with Village starting to surround us, and we had committed as Village to um, um, sort of servicing the ring neighborhoods. We we would come in and work in Sylvan Park and Hillsborough Village and 12 South and East Nashville and Germantown, and then we hoped to go downtown when Nashville's housing started emerging. we had also done something a little bit different from other real estate companies when we formed. We gave 5% of the company away. We gave it to the Village Fund. And originally with two agents and myself, uh, we we might give away $100, but as the company grew, uh, we started giving away a little bit more and the agents embraced the cause and even our customers started embracing the cause and giving little donations at closing. And we gradually started giving to um, a lot of different concerns that had to do with homes, neighborhoods, commercial. I mean, homes, neighborhoods, community. And um, we figured that we didn't have to give to healthcare because this is a healthcare mecca and there's all those healthcare companies that can give to that. And we can focus on things like youth enrichment, uh, urban arts, affordable housing, um, um, environmental issues. Remember Burnt Downtown? You know, we'd give to different things that had to do with urban environment and even some of the river systems and river keepers that were emerging in the city. And um, it gradually grew, and my personal experience was that I got involved in an organization called the Tennessee Environmental Council. My friend John Sherman was involved, and just got, you know, really started putting my own energy into that organization, and also giving through the Village Fund. And they had an event called the Green Tie Fair uh, every year, and it raised money for the organization, so I I started doing that, and I even auctioned myself off um, as a juggler. Like, I'd juggle with the auctioneer, and I'd say, whoever buys me gets to sell their house for free, and all the money goes to the TEC. And it was a cool thing, because people actually bid on it, and I was good enough that I could sell their houses. But what happened is that the people who were caring about the TEC also began to do business with Village. And so... That experience made me think that that village fund and what we did in community is a virtuous circle. You can actually do good in community, and the community will do good by you. Uh, and so that's what I tried to convey to my agents. And we'd call them change agents. You know, we'd get the agents, we would teach them how to do community work, and we'd help them get on boards. And um, hopefully, each one of them became the face of the village fund to um, to the community. And so we start. You know, in the end, when we sold the company, we had over three hundred. Village Fund recipients, just to put it in perspective. Um, And it did grow and it started moving around the city and it's something that felt really good. It feels good to use business as a tool for change. So Social Venture work uh, Network influenced me. Um, But as I said, we had gotten involved in Vancouver and we are seeing that they had a great uh, density downtown and I was seeing that the city was starting to think a little bit differently in the late 90s too. well, we got involved in the multi-residential strategy, and we, we, we trained so that when Nashville started building sort of density on the corridors or density downtown, that we would be available to sell those buildings. And I got some really interesting listings. I got the Bristol on Broadway, 171 units, uh, Enclave in Hillsborough Village, 148 units, uh, 8.9 for affordable housing resources over in Germantown, 29 units. And uh, we started listing Rolling Mill Hill and the Icon. Over time, we started getting a lot of the the big projects that were emerging downtown. And I got invited to come take a look at this building over in Germantown. This is the Worthen Building, and it had been a bag factory for 100 years, but it had originally been built uh, as a cotton mill in 1872. And this is the old mill. This is a big section of the building but there's also the new mill, which was a bigger building that was built in 1882. And the whole sprawling complex was vacant at 400,000 square feet. But it was a really cool old building. And my agents and I, we got invited in to take a look at it. And um, there was a group that wanted to develop the building. And we walked in and we looked at the dripping lead-based paint, Uh, it was incredible. And the pigeons were everywhere. And I even caught a hawk in the turret. And it and I actually caught a hawk that was trapped inside the building and opened that window right there and, and let him out and I thought this is a good sign. Um, uh, so what happened is that developer couldn't do the job and they didn't they didn't do what they said. We felt like this is an amazing building and it should be lost and it should be you know uh, uh, something that um, anchors Germantown. And I got obsessed with it <laughs> and I. I um, was trying to figure out a way to do it, and I finally figured out that the person who owned the building was in default on his loan, and I found the bank that had the loan, and I took the small section on the right-hand side, and I said, we're gonna build 23 lofts in this building, and in order to do that, I need six and a half million dollars. Barry Brooks, what do you say? It's good, okay. Um, Anyway, they were sort of caught in a bad place because they're either going to have to foreclose on the building and take it back or they'd give me a shot. And so they actually gave me a loan for six and a half million dollars and I did the first 23 units. But they said the only caveat is that you have to sell all the units in advance. And that was a tough job. But people had actually been asking for loss for years in Nashville and they, they really, um, They really wanted to be downtown, but I'd always have to say, how about a nice bungalow in Hillsborough Village? Because we didn't have them at the time. But we found all those uh, people who wanted lofts. And we brought them in, and we sold all the units, and Worthen Mills Loft was born. And it gradually turned into 351 units. That's what it looked like in the beginning. And this is sort of, as it emerged, it turned into a really incredible building. Um, But I think it... It showed me, you know, my book is One Mile Radius, and I think about how you can work in a Hillsborough village working with with the community and then, you know, with with sales and marketing in a neighborhood, how you can sort of shift the dynamic. And then in 12 South, we ended up going back and creating a partnership. My friend Joel with the Long Hair and I called 1221 Partners, and we came back in. And as the plan progressed, we ended up buying seven buildings, uh, 11 buildings on that street, but we weren't trying to keep them all. We were trying to find merchants. So we'd buy a building. We'd fix it up a little bit. I sold one building to Whitney Ferre for the Creative Fitness Center. She was one of the first newer merchants in an era to come in for $1. And she came in, and she became a, a, an owner. You know, she became someone who cared about it. Another woman, do you know where the Apiece building is today? I bought that building for $40,000. I sold it to Monica Holmes, and she started the Clean Play Club. And so all these buildings were... Nobody really wanted them at the time, but you could you could buy them, fix them up, and find merchants, and we ended up sort of putting our investment efforts into a neighborhood to see what we could do as well. And then in Germantown, I got the experience of, okay, if you start developing and, and anchoring something, then it can actually have some impact on neighborhoods. But what I also started doing was, at this point, I could see that, you know, I, I think somewhere around this time, Phil Bredesen had sort of launched Greenways for Nashville, and I remember it doing a dig over in the Shelby Bottoms as they launched the, the big Greenway there, and I could see that there was some epic champions, people who really cared, Jeannie Nelson and, and Tidwell, and Phil Ponder, and um, Charlie Tiger. You know, you had all these people who were doing this great Greenways work. And I hadn't really started getting involved, but I started giving memberships to Greenways for Nashville to anybody um, who bought a condo downtown. And so it was just my thing. It was something I could do. I could buy a whole batch of them and just give them away to customers as they closed. And I got involved in the Plan of Nashville. Um, in the late 90s, the Plan of Nashville, under, uh, I think, Bill Purcell's era, was formed. It was, it was was The Plan of Nashville didn't come out until the early 80s, but the National Civic Design Center was formed. And they with Mark Schemeny and Gary Gaston, they did this whole series of charrettes around the city. So they started talking about What does this great city want? And they start. Everybody started giving their perspective, and what happened is that it 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 evolved into the plan of Nashville, avenues to a great city. And if you look at the ten principles, you see number one is respect Nashville's natural and built environment. But number two is treat the Cumberland River as central to Nashville's identity and ask to be treasured and enjoyed. And as we heard, you know we used to turn our back on the river, and it was a dump or transportation center, and It was time to look at the Cumberland River with its nine bends in a different way, and it was time to look at the other river systems, which was happening with greenways for Nashville, and start using them as they should be. But you can see the fifth one, it's provide for a comprehensive interconnected greenway and park system. And so I was on the board, and I was sort of a fan fan of the Nashville Civic Design Center, so these were ten principles that were really important to me. Um, But they had also done a count downtown um, and looked. There was all these older buildings downtown. And in fact, they counted 84 buildings that were semi-vacant or fully vacant downtown. And because we didn't have the housing code you know, to allow for those buildings to be used um, for housing, um, people couldn't redevelop those buildings. But with the plan of Nashville and everything coming together, the code sl- slowly changed. And, and um, MDHA, the person who helped me work on 12 South, invited Core Development, my new company, to come downtown and take a look at some buildings. And there was a series of buildings on the right here on Printers Alley that were slated to be torn down. Um, They're going to be torn down to create another wonderful parking lot. And these are buildings that were built in the 1870s, 80s, and 90s. Um, There was one in the middle there that had uh, a building had burned and it had been built in the 50s, but these are great old buildings, including the Banner Building right on Printer's Alley, that shouldn't have been torn down. And so MDHA invited us to come downtown and take a look at it. And they gave us um, they gave us some TIF financing, tax increment financing to help help develop these buildings. So we did we did a series of seven buildings down this row, and then some more over on um, Fifth Avenue, and started you know putting some energy into housing in the core. And so these were some of the first residents that were on. Um, um, coming downtown, and in addition, um, I started doing these bus tours. I would meet people in the Bicentennial Mall, and I'd sign people up, and we'd take these buses, and they'd, they, everybody would come to the Bicentennial Mall, and I'd put them on the bus, and I'd take them downtown, and we'd crawl through these decrepit old buildings. I mean, they hadn't been developed yet, and I, th- I think I was immune to liability at the time, but we'd crawl through them, and we'd try to paint the vision of what they could be, and um, I had sort of my first relationship marriage had evolved and dissolved, and I started joking on the bus that, um, you know, I said, there's 10 people who own houses downtown. Whoever buys the 11th house in the core, I'm going to marry them. <laughs> and it had a high risk factor, but um, indeed there was a person who was on that bus, and she came downtown. She actually got my number off the bathroom wall of Mafiosis. Um I had those graffiti ads there, and she had been on the bus. She called me off the ad. I showed her the Crest building downtown. She bought a loft, and when that thing was done, she became that 11th buyer. And I kept my word, fortunately for me, and we got married married in 2008. That's Sherry Deutschman. Support the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks program and podcast by donating today. You can find the link in our show notes. Um, Anyways, so I said I'd been giving a lot of memberships to GreenWays for Nashville. And um, coming into 2008, I was thinking, man, I've got 1,600 pending contracts right now in condos downtown. I had sold the Icon 400 units. I had Roly Mills sold 95 out of 100 units. 5th and Main, 103 out of 129. Several of these buildings downtown and all over, you know, urban Nashville. And I was thinking, it's 2008, this is going to be a good year. (laughs) And it turned out to be a good year because I got to marry Sherry. And also, um, it was a very tough year, as you know. The market started deteriorating, and a lot of these um, people who bought condos, by the end of the year, they didn't really want to close, or the financing had changed. And it was super tough. But um, I had given away 1,000 memberships to Greenways for Nashville and Carl Dean had come into office and he was the new he was the new um, mayor in town and I got asked to come to the dinner on the bridge event in 2008 and they honored me as a volunteer of the year that year and then next thing you know, i know i's on the board and then it seems like a year later i was the board president and so i you know so I sort of jumped all into to greenways for nashville and that's where i really started putting my energy into the organization um, I also decided to start kayaking in the early Os because I was a marine zoologist, I missed the water, and my friends had all um, my friends had all decided that kayaking was a good thing. I see Daniel Boone is here and um, we got involved in the TSRA and started doing some of the events within the rodeo and going out to the Echoing and doing some of the trainings and uh, going up to the plateau and just hitting all the rivers. But we'd also paddle around on the Cumberland River and we'd paddle the, you know, all the different creeks. You know, we'd paddle the Harpeth, we'd paddle, we'd paddle all the little rivers here in town. And it was incredible training, actually, for um, greenways for Nashville. Because, you know, I look at the city as a grid downtown, you know, in my real estate practice and I look at neighborhoods. But when you talk about the greenways and how they're formed, well, they're, you know, what's a greenway on the Cumberland River? It's no grid. And depending upon which way Mill Creek goes, that's where the Greenway is going to go. And it actually became really great training. I think you just said that you put in 28 put ins right now. I mean, you've been working to put all these kayak put ins in various places and thinking about the blue ways. Um, I think it was really important for me and it actually gave me access to the water. And um, I had an opportunity to go, guess which one's me, um, <laughs> to go in the Grand Canyon. It was 911. And we had all planned this trip on 918 that, that year. It was 91101. And we didn't know if we were going to be able to make it because the planes were shut down. But this was an amazing group of people. They're all really close to me, a lot of them from um, Social Venture Network and um, um, Hollyhock and some other things I'm involved in. And we went down into the canyon and we for 16 days I got to do kayaking down the Grand Canyon. But we also were in a place where we could do a lot of reflection and sort of spiritual, uh, you know, sort of try to love the world from a different place. Well, there's the dinner on the bridge. Um, Is that a Phil Ponder drawing? I'm not sure. Um, But we started, you know, Greenways for Nashville under Carl Dean was uh, unbelievable. And he's married to Ann Davis. And Ann Davis, as you know, is a, um, she's a staunch environmentalist. And I think she certainly influenced His administration Um, he had um, he started something early in his uh, term that turned into something called Nashville naturally and it was a, a look at the whole Davidson County and our Greenway system as it was at that time and we are now I showed you dinner on the bridge this is dinner by the bridge we had about 550 people this year at that event because we no longer have the dinner on the bridge on the greenways because um, it's, it's a pedestrian way and we don't want to shut it down anymore. So, but this is an incredible place. I hope you can come to our event this coming year. And this is dinner instead of the bridge because we had a rainout one year. <laughs> so, but Carl Dean had um, started something called Nashville Naturally, and this looks at the Davidson County in the four quadrants. And, you, all, you know, we had the incredible park system up in the Warner Parks, and we had the beginnings of the Beam to Bell's Bend um, park system. So that's another quadrant. And then we had some of the northeast quadrant that's on the Stones River. And then we envisioned a southeast quadrant in Antioch, which was uh, lowest served and had a lot of the, the rain. I mean, had a lot of the asphalt. Um, but under Carl Dean... Um, for one, he did a whole bunch of work in the in the northeast section. So on the Stones River, we were, we were able to acquire the Lytle Farm and the Ravenwood, and even Cornelia Fort. And so during Carl Dean's term, he added 4,500 acres to the park system, or we added 4,500 acres to the park system, and we also added 40 miles of new paved greenway trails. So the combination of following Nashville naturally starting to fill out the quadrants, and then continuing to lay down the trails was a pretty amazing accomplishment. Um, I'd say the Northeast got impacted. We also, in the Northwest at Beeman, we got the Gilbert Farm. It was about 300 and something acres, and it added to the big Beeman Park, and um, it really added that system. And I, I must say, I'm glad Maytown didn't happen. I don't know how you all feel about it. Do um, you remember that? Maytown? Do you remember Maytown? Maytown was a planned 40,000-person or employee city that was planned in Bell's Bend at the time, and there was a movement in 2007-2008 to create a new city. And I was like, well, what about this one? We need to put the energy here. Um, but it didn't get done, so it's part of a, a, a park system. And then in Antioch, we, we worked along Mill Creek, and I believe we got about 300 acres um, uh, acquired during his term. And at the end of his term, the Davises, Ann Davis's Foundation, helped acquire another 496-acre piece. And so the southeast is the hardest, but I think we got a pretty good lick done and continue to work hard in Mill Creek to get the greenways laid down and, and acquire more land. Well, the thing that happened under Carl Dean's turn in 2010 was something called the Great Flood. And as you can see, it flooded the downtown, but it flooded a lot of the other creek systems, you know, Harpeth River overflowed, Browns Creek overflowed, And a lot of areas were impacted. I think about 11,000 households were damaged and $2 billion of economic damage was done. Fairly remarkable, though, because there was an organization called Hands on Nashville that was formed under Brian Williams. And it was basically organizing volunteers. And it was really organized to help flood event. And they went out and helped different households get the drywall out, get the stuff out, big piles on the streets. You know, it was pretty amazing. Um, And I think Nashville really showed it's sort of, it's who we are, you know, that we're really a group of volunteers who really want to help each other. And what happened with the flood is that um, places like that along the river were identified as places that could flood. And now a lot of cities and across the world we're looking at climate events where these kinds of things can happen. So it's, you wouldn't think that this is not gonna happen again here in Nashville tornadoes might happen we'll have heat events because of what's going on in climate in the world but other cities are having to learn from this too and some are dealing with tidal surge and um, you know cyclone storms and all sorts of different things that are impacting the world at this point but as a city we learned from that and we were actually able to come in and turn areas that had formerly been developed into parks so we were able to get the battlemont park that had been 11 homes but they had flooded and they would flood again, and so those were acquired. And lots of other areas in along some of the waterways became parks, and it helped us add to the greenway system and to the park system. And so even an event like a flood can show our true colors and actually point out where we need to go. And I think we still have things to learn from that event. Um, One really incredible thing that happened because of the flood and vision that had started before but we were able to get the uh, west and East Cumberland parks created um, and under Carl Dean we had the ascend you know the, the West Cumberland Park both of them were created under his term and if you're really going to face the river and use the Cumberland River as your greatest natural resource you really need a park system for the for the people downtown and there's tons more to do we still need to get the PSC metal plant and We have to move up the river towards River North and continue to take that. But I think this was hugely important for our city. And as we started coming out of the recession and lifting and building our greenway system, as a city, we started getting accolades that other cities would really envy. And we were able to um, um, sort of lift ourselves up and started to track um, whatever is happening to, to us today started happening at that time. And it didn't help... to it didn't hurt to have that TV show, Nashville, and I tell other people across the country, if you can ever get a TV show that bears your name, go for it, because I'd go back up to British Columbia, and I'd sit in a little house on Cortez Island, and they're all watching Nashville and talking about it. I'm like, are you kidding me? You got You're watching Nashville. Um, it was around this time, it was probably 10 or 11 years ago that um I remember talking to Tim Nesh, and he's with Metro Parks. And when the 440 Greenway was um, created under Lamar Alexander's um, leadership as governor, there was supposed to have been a greenway. Um, and it was built, and, and the greenway was conceived. And, you know, this is 1970s where the planning happened, and then it was starting to be built in the 80s. And somehow it got value engineered out, and we didn't get a greenway. But they did have easements and they did have some plan. And with, you know, we started seeing that there was a possibility of creating a a greenway connector using I-440 as an infrastructure. And, um, that's really an important piece because, you know, now we'll be talking a little bit about the city central greenway and that 23 mile loop. Well, this is a piece of it. And under Mayor Berry's term, we got the first section done, which runs from West End Avenue. Uh, over to Centennial Park and then can get you up toward Charlotte Avenue with the 28th-31st connector. And so this this is in Elmington Park and we started doing um, some walks. This, this is the bridge on 440 that go, goes under 440. I mean it comes around 440, goes under 440 and comes into the Metro Park system. These are places you'd never walk or you'd never go to before but if you think about 440, The reason they built it is because it was the fastest way to get from one place to the other. And if you can build the 440 Greenway and get from Charlotte to West End to Hillsborough Road to Belmont Boulevard to 12 South to Franklin Road, um, that's a lot of connection, and that's a lot of walkability, and that impacts a lot of neighborhood commercial districts, and I think it's super important. Um, Working with Berkeley Allen, she was my councilman in in Hillsborough Village, and John Ray Clements, um, we did have meetings with dot and they have agreed to give us easements for the 440 Greenway, and we are keying up for a next section uh, to get done. Um, they decided they didn't want it done during the big dig. I wish it was all done right now. It should all be getting done right now and be finished, but it's not. Um, well, under Megan Berry's term, um, the Metro Parks decided to launch something which turned out to be plan to play it's basically a 10-year plan. It's a master plan for parks and greenways. And it was quite interesting because they did surveys, I think, of 9,000 or 10,000 people. And everybody who was surveyed talked about what was most important for them in the parks. And um, I think 80 or 85% of them said that greenways was the most important thing. And so she instructed the leaders, I think it was Hawkins and the the Trust for Public Land, to come back and do a separate series just on the greenways to find out what people wanted. And that has resulted in a conversation about, um, you know, with Plan to Play, we want another 4,500 acres. We want 400 of those acres to be in the urban core. We'd like to add another 53 miles of greenways. And we want to build out what's now called the City Central Greenway. So it also talked about, this is in the document, but it started talking about trail-oriented development. And, you know, as a real estate practitioner and also involved in the Urban Land Institute, we've been, we've been having some of those conversations, because you can look at other cities, and let's say Indianapolis with their cultural trail, an eight-and-a-half-mile trail, and what it does when, when people start seeing people walk, what does it do to development patterns? And that's something we've started to think about by looking at some other sister cities. Um, because we are, if we, if we develop an urban greenway system, We'll be thinking about that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, here's some of the sisters. This is a look um, at another piece of the City Central Greenway um, that would emerge along the fairgrounds. And there's a section up at the top right that's on Brown's Creek. And so the Brown's Creek Greenway with the City Central Greenway would connect back to the 440 Greenway. And these are the cities for reference, Beltline, the High Line, Cross Charlotte Trail, Katy Trail, Dallas, uh, Indianapolis Cultural Trail. There's other cities that have done it. We're looking at the city central greenway, which you can see up in the right corner. It's part of the entire greenway system. But the city central greenway is that 23-mile 20, loop with a southern edge that um, includes the 440 section and then the Browns Creek section that would come down to the river and then up over top. It's in, it's in form right now, but the City Central Greenway is a really important piece because the plan to play says that at the edge of Davidson County, we need to have a greenway within two miles of every resident. In the core, we need, we need to be within a half mile and really a quarter mile of every resident. So this is the greenway system that will really access neighborhoods, and it's really super important because greenways are great for health and wellness. They're great for... Uh, recreation. They're great for getting out and having a spiritual moment, but in the urban core they can also be used to get from one place to another. You can get kids to school, you can get workers to downtown, you can connect to what's already there. In the City Central Greenway we've actually put in seven miles and we do have, you know, the new 1.2 mile section on 440 done. So we've already gotten started, but now we're looking at um, next steps. I'll go back on that one. we, we have um, we've been thinking about what we do next and we, we got a grant from the Frist Foundation to take a look at this whole city central Greenway and they said you need to think about your communications you need to think about um, you need to think about feasibility study and pick a section that you're going to follow and you need if you think you want to raise capital um, from either philanthropists or corporations you need to have a capital campaign plan And so we're using that money and we're developing, all three of those this time and it's coming to fruition. We're almost finished with a feasibility study. We're almost finished with a capital campaign plan. plan, And we we have really gone far in a communications plan. So this is what's gonna be happening in 2020. Um, We should should be launching something that you'll start, you'll start seeing visible over the course of the year and maybe into 2021. Greenways will really make an effort to try to build this a little bit faster. Now the Coopers, um, we have Mayor Cooper who came and spoke at the Dinner by the Bridge event this year on his fourth day. And my wife Sherry and I um, were the, the co-hosts or co-honorary hosts this year. And so I was able to introduce him. And he stood up there and he delivered a message saying that he thought he wanted to build as many greenways as Carl Dean and, and Bill Purcell. And so just remember that. We want that to happen. He's on, he was on the Greenways Commission before he became mayor. And so he does understand the workings of greenways, and I believe him. I think he cares. And Jim Cooper had helped us think through something called a Tiger Grant back under Mayor Barry's term, where we tried to raise uh, 17 million dollars to build out the 440 Greenway from the feds. And apparently, they loved the idea, and it got all the way to the final, you know, the final cut on the desk. And they said, "Well, we don't really have 17 million, and because you didn't divide it up into sections." We could have given you 10 million, maybe, but not 17. Why don't you come back next year? And the next year, Hillary Clinton didn't win the election. And Tiger Grants um, really haven't been happening the same way they used to, but maybe next year. Um. (laughs) Um, Well, so I think you said that I sold the company in uh, 2019. And and what happened is at the end of 2018, um, we were coming into 22 years of Village, and um, we had 350 agents and staff, and it would have been a chaotic year. There was competition, and I was a little bit ready for a change, but I didn't really know how that might happen. I'd actually come up with a plan to give the company away, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) And... um, we decided, I'd been teaching some of my um, agents and staff. We'd been juggling all year, and we had these things called Friday jams, and we had our village musicians and everybody juggled, and it was fantastic, and uh, convinced 15 of them to perform, but I invited some of my juggling friends from the juggling club, and we did, you know, sort of a, we called it 22 in review, and because we were close to $2.2 million given away, we gave away another um, bit of money. There's a little performance from my agents, that was a lot of fun, and we gave away, Hands On Nashville got the big award, but we gave away enough to hit $2.2 million. And it was just a, a celebratory moment, but I feel like it gives me more time to focus on things that uh, I want to do at this point in my life, and Greenways is going to be front and center. Um, and um, I think that the Greenways are a legacy thing. I think that they're super important, not just for us, but super important for our kids and their kids and their kids, because what lays down stays down. If you get it done, it's going to be here. It's a piece of our infrastructure, and the more you can connect it to neighborhoods and, you know, create the walkability, the less we'll be relying on cars, and the less will, you know, the more we'll be able to be out and, you know, be healthy and well. And so, uh, it's it's not no secret that greenways help with health and wellness, and so that's what we want to do, and that's what I feel like we should be doing. So, thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this week's talk. To join in on the fun and hear the Q&A session from our weekly speakers, come visit us in the River Center in Nashville, Tennessee. But until then, thanks for listening. We hope to catch you next week with a new episode of River Talks.